Welcome to the Good Shepherd Church podcast. Good Shepherd is a gospel-centered church plant in Southeast Lakeland, Florida, and our vision is to join God's mission to see a glorious city filled with disciples of Jesus who are secure as children of God, connected as the family of God, and engaged as stewards of God's love to their neighbors and beyond. Here you will find sermons and other resources to help root and equip you in your true identity in Christ. We're glad you're here. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. Um, morning, everybody. Glad to be able to, to be with you. Um, sorry about last week. Zoom went nuts, apparently all over the world. Uh, Zoom shut down. <laughs> so this and that confirmed to me how much I love doing it live this way as opposed to pre-recording and then sending it out. It is just it is a way different feel. Um, so a question you've already kind of been introduced to our topic this morning, and I think the the liturgy and the scripture readings, the prayers up to this point have just done such a good job at framing for us the topic ahead of us. And that's what it's supposed to do every week. So uh, I'm really thankful that, um, that God has, has sort of ordered this service already like he has. Uh, a question to frame our time together today, how would you define good friendship? Maybe you would say it's, uh, it's similar hobbies that make good friendship. Maybe it's inside jokes, long periods of time spent together, shared experience, uh, similar movie references. Like for instance, if, if I ever meet someone and I can throw out a back to the future quote, or I can throw out an Ace Ventura quote that, and somebody quotes it back to me, like the next line then I know that I found a friend. What is it for you that you de- begin to describe? This is a good friendship. And these, this is the characteristics of a good friendship. If you notice a lot of what I mentioned so far has to do with similarity. So especially in a world that we live in that is very divided today, uh, and we all find in ourselves that it's easier to be around people who are similar to us as opposed to people who are different. The question is, what about all those people who are not like me? Am I exempt from befriending them? Am I uh, exempt from befriending the other? If you've one of the best ex, uh, examples that I've seen recently of this, I've mentioned this movie before. Um, so just bear with me. I just thought it was so good. I got to mention it one more time because I thought of another application. So the movie peanut butter Falcon came out a couple of months ago and, uh, or maybe a year ago at this point, but I saw it a couple of months ago. And to recap the story, there's a 22 year old with down syndrome named Zach. And through the course of some crazy events, he runs into uh, this 30-something-year-old outlaw who's on the run from some enemies that he made in the North Carolina backcountry. He's played by Shia LaBeouf. So, and Zach is this guy's name in real life. So Zach and Shia have, by the end of the movie, a, a really amazing friendship. But at the beginning, Zach runs in to Shia and immediately takes a liking to him. And he, he says, maybe we could be friends and buddies, bro dogs and chill. Have, you know, have a good time. This is a quote from the movie. Uh, 
trying to win Shia to, to be his friend, placing his love on him. And, you know, as you can guess, he's an outlaw. He's on the run. He's, um, he's rough around the edges. You know, he's, he's a fisherman by trade. So he's just kind of a rough guy. And so, of course, he rebuffs it. And he's like, get out of my way. Leave me alone. I don't need anyone. You'll just slow me down. Move. And he passes him. But then almost immediately, you see his wheels spinning. And you see the, the guilt that he feels. Because I forgot to mention that um, Zach is also sort of on the run. He has escaped from the home that he was living in, a group home that he was in. And he's only wearing a pair of underwear. And so this, this guy is in great need and Shia's conscience immediately gets the best of him. And after he leaves him, he turns around and tries to go find him. He comes back and finds Zach and Zach is at the top of probably a 15 foot dock. And there's this bully who's probably 14 years old and he's pushing him and he's saying, jump, jump, get in the water. You know, it's, it'll be fun. Jump. And He's saying, no, I can't. I can't swim. Don't make me do it. I can't. And Shia has already known that he couldn't swim. So he runs up to the top of the dock. He slugs the kid in the face. And then he jumps into the water after Zach. This turns into a really neat friendship if you watch the rest of the movie. And what characterizes it is not similarity. What char- I mean, there could be almost two more opposite there could be no more opposite people you've got a 22 year old guy who loves uh the world wrestling federation and wants to be a wrestler uh with a 30 some odd outlaw they make no sense why they could be friends but the types of things i wish i could share the entire movie but instead for the sake of summary what begins to characterize their friendship is they have these long talks And they begin to share and be vulnerable about each other's stories. And there's this mutual sacrifice one to another. There's, you know, obviously Shia has just saved Zach's life. Zach is this friend who literally sticks closer than a brother. He's always right at Shia's side. These are the things that begin to characterize their friendship. And I would say are some of the characteristics of a true friendship. So we're on habit number three in this four-week series on habit. And these are just biblically four big core ideas, four big core uh, habits, things that we should be consistently ordering our lives around because Jesus says the most important thing about our life is to love him and then to love others, as you heard from the video earlier. So how do we begin to form these kinds of friendships? We're going to look at how does Jesus form friendship and then take our cues from him uh, who is the ultimate friend of sinners so that maybe we can have a shot at doing the same thing. So I'm going to share my screen and let's read John 15 together. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. 
but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I ask, uh, as Jason has already asked, uh, if this is so core to how you relate to us, that you would tell us to love others in the same way, then this must be core to, to us. This must be a, a foundational point of how we order our lives. So Father, I pray that you would help us because when we look at ourselves, when we look at the way we befriend, when we look at the people we choose to spend time with and the people we choose to even avoid, uh, we see a lack of love. We see a love that has a lot more to do with self than does with other, at least as I look at my heart. So I I pray that we would more and more be shaped um, after the image of Christ that Christ would be formed in us through your word this morning. This is not my power. This is not my words. This is your word to our ears. So use me towards that end to communicate real truth uh, in real application. And I pray that you do this in Jesus name. Amen. So I think we can kind of see two main categories here for what true friendship is. I'm sure you could add others, but from this text, These are two big ones that I see. The first would be that friendship is sacrificial. And you see this, and we'll describe that in the text. Uh, And then secondly, that friendship is vulnerable. So friendship is sacrificial, and friendship is vulnerable. Let's consider the sacrificial piece first. Jumping right in from verse 12. Love one another as I have loved you. So let's just go ahead and get one thing very straight. The source for our love, the source for our true friendships with other people, the the source for any good relationship has to be Jesus. And really, it has to start with Jesus and not so much start with us and our efforts. Because as I've just prayed, our source of love, if it's not him, if we're not constantly receiving love from him that we can then dole out to others, then it's only going to be the love that we've got in here. And this is a, this is a depleting fountain that goes down really quick. I'm going to get to the end of my love, the end of my resources really fast. So Jesus has to be constantly pouring in, informing me, teaching me by his spirit, even in the moment, how do I love? How do I befriend? How do I do this? Not just like I would want to do it, but how do I love my neighbor as myself? So to answer that question, we've got to say, okay, how am I supposed to befriend? The question then is, how does Jesus befriend me? First, he befriends us. It describes in in verse 13, he befriends us in an act of sacrifice. Greater, Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Frozen got it right, right? An act of true love would thaw a frozen heart. And then that act of true love, you think it's going to be a kiss the whole movie, and sorry, 
plot twist or plot spoiler, but I'm sure everyone's seen the movie already. At the end, what is that act of true love? It's an act of self-sacrifice where Anna jumps in front of a sword for her, for her sister. An act of true love is a self-sacrifice. And just like we see the, the themes and the types and the shadows of that in, and there's something that resonates in us when we see that in a movie, something when we see that in the actual person, in the source of all of those shadows, it, it jumps into magna, uh, magna color. And so we see Jesus, right? And he, he leaves all the pleasures of heaven. He, he constrains himself to a man. He resists every temptation for all of his life, feeling every desire that we feel that we know is wrong, but we most of the time fall to anyways. And instead he resists perfectly. And then for all of that, he dies alone under the anger and the wrath of the greatest relationship that he has ever known in his life with his father. This has to be motivated by love. This is true love to watch Jesus stand in front of the sword, so to speak, for us. So again, friendship then, if it's how Jesus loves me, then friendship is defined by difficulty, right? Uh, my friend Lyle, the pastor of Christ Community, says, if your friendships aren't difficult, if your community life together isn't difficult, it means you're not living close enough to other people. Because eventually, if you're living close enough to other people, you're going to rub up against each other. You're going to cause friction. There's going to be a misunderstanding. There's going to be some type of forgiveness that you're going to have to work through. It's just, it's inevitable. So does that, does difficulty in some ways characterize your friendships? We may say that that's a negative, but I think what we're seeing here is that that dealt with in the correct way is actually a sign that I may actually be loving like Jesus loves, that I'm having to take cost on myself and absorb and sacrifice what I would want for the sake of someone else. Um, this assumes though, internally, then friendship must just be awful. Maybe I should just walk away from this whole thing because it sounds like it's going to be super difficult. Andrew Peterson, who is a, a singer songwriter and an author who uh, I've quoted before, he tells this story uh, that really struck me when I heard it. He, he said that there was a period for he and his wife when they had first gotten married and they were like the house. They were the house that everybody went over. They were the house that were always cooking dinner and having other people over. And what they, a, a root of bitterness, kind of started to grow inside of them. And they, after doing that for a couple of years, they looked at each other and went, you know, like, why are we always the one that are the inviters? Why are we always the one that are the pursuers? Why can't somebody else be that for a change? Why does that have to be up? You know what we're going to do? We're going on strike. Nobody is going to come over to our house and we're just going to wait and see. We're going to wait and see. Does anyone else invite us over instead? They waited for an entire year and no one invited them over. But something else started to happen during that year. 
what you would expect probably is that bitterness would just grow and grow and grow. They would get more angrier, angrier, angrier. And then eventually they would cut off all their relationships. They would say friendship isn't for me. And they would go retreat with them uh, and just live with their family and, uh, and no outside contact, except maybe the few who um, are similar to them and they can easily get along with. Here's what they actually came to instead. At the end of that year, they became so convicted because they realized maybe it's actually our gift that we have to offer to our community. Maybe that sacrifice is actually part of what it means to be a good friend, that it means to build a healthy community. And I've been given a a particular way that I serve my community well, and you have also. So for Andrew Peterson and his family, the gift that they had was this gift of hospitality. And they realized that it wasn't something wrong, that it wasn't being reciprocated, but this was the gift that they had, that they could sacrifice of their time, of their uh, talents, of their finances, and invite others in. And that that was part of what building a healthy community and healthy friendships looked like. And then it would be reciprocal, but that reciprocation would not be like they would do. It would be like God has created that other person to do instead. And then as they started doing that again, they found that with a true heart of, of sacrifice and that kind of that definition in place for them, they started to have the most fun ever having people in. And there's an echo of this in the, the same way that Jesus pursues us, right? Because we know that for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross. There was, there was a joy, there was an excitement in his heart that propelled him into doing something hard. And so sacrifice isn't just meant to, this, to be this like drudge, but sacrifice understood correctly, lived out of a posture of receiving Jesus's sacrifice and his love and then operating with others the way he is operating with us, then this gets to be, this gets to be joyful. For the joy set before us, we can invite someone over even when no one else invites us over. For the joy set before us, we can give a gift of our time or our finances because someone needs it and not be expecting some sort of kickback. For the joy set before us, you can fill in the blank. What do you love to do? And then how could you bless somebody else by doing that thing? Not waiting for reciprocation, but trusting that in that sacrifice, something is being built that is after God's heart. So friendship is sacrifice. Second, uh, friendship is vulnerability. Verse 15, all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Right? God didn't send us an email to tell us about himself. He sent himself to tell us about himself. He, he disclosed who he was to us through his personhood. So there's something about self-disclosure, opening ourselves up, being fully known by another individual that grows a true friendship. Because this is the way that Jesus has grown his friendship with us and has initiated really this friendship with us. So God initiates relationship by disclosing himself. 
But a lot of times we want to wait for somebody else. We want to wait for someone else to make the first move because then I can feel comfortable enough to then live into that. Okay, well, if they like me, then I can feel safe enough to live into maybe a friendship with them, to, to let some of my guard down because I know that hopefully there's at least a little bit of acceptability that someone else sees in me. But if you look at the way Jesus handles us, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you. There's an initiation to love. There's an initiation to friendship, right? We were made, if you look all the way back at Genesis 1 and 2, we were created to be naked and unafraid before each other and use that in the physical sense, but also the symbolic uh, emotional sense. We were made to be fully known before another person, which sounds massively scary. Because if you're anything like me, then if somebody really knew who I was, then they would, I'm sure they would reject me. If I told them everything I ever did, everything I ever thought, everything I ever said that I wasn't proud of, of course they would reject me. There's some kind of fear inside of us that is in some ways true and right in a normal human relationship but not if you're ordering your relationship in the same way that Jesus has befriended you. So, you know, that may look like middle school me that is, is just ready to posture, to look like I had everything together, like I was the cool kid in school, like I had the bowl cut and the baggiest jeans that my mom would let me get, and inside I'm so afraid of rejection, but outside I'm trying to play it so cool. If they really knew me, they'd reject me. Here's a question. Have you ever been in a friendship where you have self-disclosed something that's ugly about yourself and the person on the receiving end of that has met you with love and acceptance? Where someone's met you with grace when what you expected was that they would meet you with disgust. That's the kind of relationship that starts to scratch that itch that we all know we're created for, but don't think it's really possible this side of eternity to live that vulnerable with somebody else. That's real friendship. That's what we're describing. Isn't, isn't that an exciting thought to think that friendships could be cultivated that way? Now, these two things work in tandem. You can't have vulnerability without sacrifice, and you can't have sacrifice without vulnerability. Here's what I mean. Vulnerability without sacrifice turns to manipulation, right? If you just emotionally dump all of your stuff on somebody else and then say, love me, need me, care for me, accept me, but then there's no amount of reciprocation. There's no amount of you opening yourself up to hear from them as well then you can just turn the other person into an emotional garbage dump, right? At that point, it is not reciprocal. It is only one direction. Now, sacrifice without vulnerability is equally as bad. If you're willing to sacrifice, to give everything you have, time, talent, treasure, you're willing to give it all, but you stay like this, you stay emotionally withdrawn, then you leave others feeling more like a charity case than an actual friend. And I'm sure different applications uh, could be drawn from this as well, but as I thought about two major pitfalls that we fall into 
those were two that came to mind. So to truly understand then what is the making of a true friendship, you have to almost go back to the first half of John 15, because what we're jumping into the middle of John 15, the very beginning, verse four, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you, right? It's very reciprocal. It's you in me and I in you. It is you're fully known and I see you and I'm fully known and you see me. And there's mutual love and there's mutual acceptance and grace. I'm the vine, Jesus says. You are the branches. There is this mutuality and this connectedness that he offers and invites us into. So can we just be in awe for a moment at the song we sang? Who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. There's a, in the Father's house, there's a place for me. And then when you consider yourself and the way that you've befriended and, and the ways that maybe you have wrecked friendships in the past or the, the ways that you have uh, emotionally manipulated or the ways that you have kept other people at arm's distance because you're too afraid for them to know the real you, it really does wreak havoc in relationships. There's, there's truth in Jesus's words, but even more than the truth in his words and the way that it may poke holes in all of your attempts to, uh, to befriend, it more so buoys our hearts to remind us how amazing is the truth that God would call us friends. Of any, of any word he could use to describe us, he could call us servant, he could call us uh, you know, way worse than we actually are, and instead he says, friend, come here. I see you. I know you. I, I see through you. I see everything you've ever done. I see everything you've ever said. I see everything that you've ever thought that you were ashamed for anybody else to know. And yet, because of the work of Christ, who I have revealed to you, I've let you in on the secret of the universe that the way to me is through Christ, then I invite you to come. Right? That type of friendship begins to, to inform the way that we can form friendships that are really otherworldly. And he says, verse 16, I chose you, why? So that you should bear fruit, right? In the initiation, in the sacrifice, in the vulnerability, there is an offer and that offer is fruitfulness, right? Friendships are supposed to produce something. They're supposed to produce a mutual fruitfulness that we are, we thrive more with other people than we would alone. Genesis 2 is true. It's not good for me to be alone. And then to watch that play itself out, even in the way that God relates to us, uh, is just so fun. So I mentioned the book, The Common Rule. Uh, the practice that he gives to kind of bring this to an application and bring it home, the application that he gives is he suggests one hour a week, you have a conversation with a friend. That's really tangible. That's really doable. And in a conversation, you can be both sacrificial in giving to the other person a listening ear, what they need to hear, maybe some encouragement, and then also receiving as you open yourself up for the sake of that person. 
So whatever that looks like for you, the question is what type of habit could you add or could you, maybe you're already doing and you just need to lean into it more and be thankful that he has already done this work in you to grow what Jesus says is most important, your friendships. Now, I think to close, there's a common pitfall we can also get into. Um, and, you know, everyone has thought it. Well, when the right people come along, then I'll befriend. But I'm still waiting for those right people. Here's, here's what C.S. Lewis says about that. He says, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years different in the dates of our birth, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us far apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward of our discriminating and good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to us the beauties of others. So who's, who's around you right now? not necessarily waiting for the perfect friend. Of course, there's going to be seasons of better friends and, and really sweet times that God gives us throughout the years. But who's around you right now? And how could God be calling you to both sacrifice and vulnerability with them and just see what he'll do? Watch him work in the same way he's loved you. So love one another. Let's pray. So Father, again, I'm just amazed. I'm amazed that you would call me a friend. Greater love has no one than this, that you have laid down your life for me and everyone within earshot of me. So we bow before you and at the same time we lift our heads because we know that there is no reason to fear before you. We are, we are by grace clothed in the righteousness of Christ. All who believe in him today are clothed in his righteousness, in his acceptance and in his love. And so when you look at us, you see friend, even when everything inside of us thinks you should just see foe. Grow our love. We are feeble, but we desire true friends. Give us that gift by grace through faith. We pray in Christ. Amen.